0: For the love of goats, we are talking about everything goat. Whether you're a goat owner, a breeder, or just a fan of these wonderful creatures, we've got you covered. And now, here's Deborah Neiman.
1: Everyone, and welcome to another episode. Today, I am joined once again by Michael and Lisa Davis of Sweet Dough Dairy. And if the name sounds familiar to you, that's because we talked in episode 18 about their gelato that they make with their Nigerian dwarf goat milk at their farm in Vermont, which they then sell directly to consumers. So if you want to know more about that, check out episode 18. Since they are in Vermont, I thought it would be great to have them join me to talk about what it's like to have goats giving birth in the middle of a very cold winter. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by my goat birthing course, which you can find at goatsgivingbirth.com. Welcome to the show, Lisa and Michael.
2: Thanks, Deborah. Uh, Thanks for having us. Good to be back.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to have you guys back again. It's so much fun to talk to people who are in an equally cold place. We were just comparing temperatures before <laughs> I hit record and... um Yay, we win here in Illinois. It's seven degrees today and it's a balmy 10 degrees in Vermont.
2: <laughs> it is. Yeah, just a few degrees difference between us. It's pretty chilly, but but not the worst we've seen by a long shot.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, two years ago is when we had our worst winter ever, which is where it did not get above 15 degrees below zero Fahrenheit for 36 hours. And and during that 36 hours, the low was 25 below zero. And I am happy to say all of our goats did fine. I'm also really happy to say nobody gave birth during that
0: time.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we experienced something very similar here in Vermont, where we had uh, long stretches, like between three and five days worth of minus 20 ish temperatures, minus 17 minus 20 at nighttime temperatures. And same here, our goats all did fine. And we did not kid during that, but it is awfully cold. And it does make you think about, you know, what else you should be doing to help them out um, in those long stretches.
1: Exactly. And it's really funny. I, you know, I get emails this time of year from people, you know, like in Georgia and (laughs) places like that. And they're, they're really worried because it's going to be 40 degrees and they're wondering if their goats are going to be okay, especially because one's due to kid. And so they're (laughs) really, really worried about it. And, and for us, you know, when we were doing middle of the winter kiddings, I would be ecstatic if it like, oh, it's going to be 40 degrees today. And, you know, had my fingers crossed that like every goat that's within that 145 to 150 day window, come on, give birth today. This is like, this is awesome. So cold is really subjective based on where you live. And so that's why I was excited to have Lisa and Michael on so that we could talk about like really cold temperatures. So, and people ask always like, why are you giving birth at this time of year? (laughs) So one reason, and the reason we did it for a long time is because we had a problem with dewormer resistance. So if my goats gave birth in the spring after there was grass on the ground and the temperatures were above 50 degrees, then they would have a really bad case of worms. I I couldn't do anything. I would just have all these really insanely skinny goats because none of the dewormers worked anymore. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Go back and listen to some of my episodes that we've done on parasites where I've interviewed parasite researchers. We've talked about how to um, avoid dewormer resistance this year. I'm so excited. Our first goat is due on April 4th. So when are you guys going to start kidding this year?
0: Around March 15th.
2: Yeah, oh we, we used to kid sooner. Uh, we used to start kidding at the end of February Um, And we've gradually shifted that date a little bit more into spring. And the reason we do it, you know, I say it's spring in March, but really it's still winter, very much so here in Vermont. We have snow here and snow storms all the way through the month of April. And we really don't see the last of the snow melt on our property until the end of May. <laughs> so even for us, you know, shifting into March, it's still very much winter here.
1: Wow. Oh, that is
2: Yeah. And the reason that we kid when we do is because um, since we use all of the milk that we generate on our farm for gelato production and the spring and summer is when we're in the height of gelato selling season, we actually need that milk supply in that early part of spring so that we can start to build gelato inventory for that busy selling season. So we actually are fortunate in that we've never had a problem with dewormer resistance. We are able to very intensively rotationally graze our herd, and we have the luxury of never having to put them back on the same piece of pasture twice in a season. Um, And so that's helped us on the parasite Uh front a lot. So the reason that we kid when we do has more to do with our creamery and production schedule on the gelato side.
1: Right. And then sometimes you just have accidental breedings too. And you wind up with middle of winter kittings.
0: (laughs) We've never had an accidental breeding.
1: No,
2: we actually both. We we actually um, breed differently.
0: Our bucks are pretty far away and everyone's hand bred.
2: Oh, that's good.
0: So we go up and get them for each breeding. We've never had an accident.
2: Yeah. We don't turn our bucks in with groups of does. Like we actually you know, bring a buck down for a particular breeding. And we sort of wait until that breeding happens. And that allows us to have a very clear indication of when the due dates are.
1: That's good. Yeah. Because yeah. it It's crazy how, you know, a lot of goats will find a way. And then, yeah. I mean, there are human errors. Like a few years ago, I was traveling a lot. Like I was really not home for six weeks other than fly in one day, do my laundry and fly out again the next day. And, um, Somebody had left some young bucks, and they were four and five month old bucks in with the does. Oh <laughs> so gosh, it That'll was like <laughs> I had—I think it was like around fifteen or sixteen does that got yeah. bred from that.
2: I I do have that fear because we have so many kids born on our, our farm. And of course, you know, we're selling a lot in the springtime, but I always do have that fear that there's going to be some like young bucklings that we forget to isolate. And then we're going to end up with that very situation on our hands. And I can see how it (laughs) would happen easily.
1: Yeah. So we got to be pros at DNA testing the following (laughs) spring. (laughs) let's talk about some of the challenges when it comes to kidding in the middle of winter. One of the things that we do is we have heat lamps as well as a blow dryer and a heating pad. And I joke that the heating pad is as much for me as it is for the kids because I put the heating pad in my lap and put a towel on top of it and then put the kid on top of that. So its bottom half is is warmed up. (laughs) My legs are being warmed up. Yeah. And then I'm blow drying the top of it to get it dry because when kids get hypothermia, the first thing that goes is their sucking instinct. Mm-hmm. It's like you stick your finger in their mouth and, and they do nothing and their mouth is ice cold yeah. and, and people are like, how do you know if it's cold? And it's like, come on, this is not complicated. Like, so yeah, their tongues can get really cold. And we also put the hairdryer to good
2: use during kidding season and try to get those babies dry as quick as humanly possible. I've never even thought to use a heating pad, but we have a small workroom in our barn. And so usually when, when a baby is born, we'll bring them in there and we have a, um, actually
0: They're in- salamander heaters. Yeah, so propane,
2: forced hot air,
0: or or kerosene, and it's they use them on construction sites.
2: Okay, yep. And so we have one of those that just literally blasts hot air into a very small workroom where we bring the babies, and so it very quickly gets to be like ninety degrees in there, wow. and and we'll just like get that dryer on the baby and put it on the floor and that hot air is sort of blowing on it and getting them as warm as we possibly can as fast as we can.
1: So now you are bottle raising all your kids because you have a dairy and we're dam raising yes. all of ours. So you're taking the kids away as soon as they're born and then you take them into your workroom where you dry them off. And then what do you do with them after they're dry?
2: So, I mean, we obviously, we take their weights. We give them all of their initial injections, but like in terms of their warmth, the key is really getting them dry and warm as fast as possible and then fed as quickly as possible. And the two are really linked together because as you said, uh, Deborah, the first thing to go when they're cold is their sucking reflex. They just don't have the ability to suck, you can stick your finger in their mouth, and sometimes their tongue is ice cold. And you just know there's no way that baby is going to eat, whether it's nursing, or you're trying to get it to take a bottle, it doesn't matter, it's not going to eat if it's cold. And so getting that body temp up is really critical. And then you see an almost immediate difference and an immediate willingness to eat. And getting that colostrum in them right away is critical. So we, we try to get them to eat as soon as possible. Of course, we milk the colostrum out, out of their dam, and then we feed that colostrum back via bottle to the babies.
1: So do you leave them in a heated room for a while, or do you put them back out into the open barn right away?
0: They go in the open barn. But they leave that work room, and then we have kit pens set up based on their age. Uh, and they'll go into the very first one off to that room. So it's open to the barn. And all those kit pens have heat lamps yeah. in them as well. And, yeah. we're, and we're fortunate enough, we have sweaters for every baby.
2: <laughs> we do. Our friend did it for us. Yes, if they need them, you know, or if it's particularly cold and we feel as though they need them. Or there's maybe just not quite enough babies in a pen like the more babies that are in a pen they'll keep each other warm with their body heat but if there's just a couple in there and they need an extra boost we put fleece sweaters on them and it does help sometimes in those first few days
0: i think Mm -hmm. we do it more for the cute factor
1: (laughs) that too yeah there is the cute factor so but i would
0: say from the time we put a kid into that room if i have time to go in and work on them right away if i'm not delivering other kids you can have it dried and vaccinated or whatever you're going to do for your steps and have a collar on it. It'll be totally done in less than 10 minutes.
2: <laughs> yeah. If you're really Just working that. quickly, and, I mean, and
0: at the end of those 10 minutes, they get so hot, they are sucking on you instantly yeah. and they're ready to eat within about 15 minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that is the difference. Uh, It's just crazy. The difference between like a nice warm room like that. Since we're (laughs) dam raising, I'm doing everything next to the mom. And so this is why I have a heating pad. Like you guys have your awesome heater in your little (laughs) room there. And I've got a heating pad in my lab while I'm blow drying the kid. When if it's especially like below zero is the worst. Below zero, the blow dryer is going to have to be like, an inch or two away from the yes. kid. Yes. You can feel like the farther away it gets, it's suddenly it's cold air. Oh, yes. And you have your hand right there and you're brushing against the hair and everything to make it stand up. But it is just nuts how long it takes. Yeah. To yes. Dry a kid when it is that cold out out yes. there.
2: Yep. And uh, and to be honest with you, our dog helps a lot. Our farm dog helps a lot at getting kids dry really quick. Um, it's like one of his favorite jobs to have in the farm. <laughs> we have an Australian shepherd and he is a pro at drying babies. I mean, mm. I don't know what it is about the size of his tongue and like how rapidly he's able to lick them clean. But he sometimes like if I'm blow drying one, he's got the other one dry just as fast as I do with the hair dryer.
1: <laughs> wow, that's talented.
0: And, it, they'll, and they'll actually bite off the umbilical where it needs to be. Yes, no. he'll actually <laughs>
2: naturally, like, get the umbilical cord just at the right spot. Yep. It's incredible.
0: And in all of these steps that we take for our routine were all accidental.
2: Yeah, kind the, of. The heater
0: was in there because <laughs> I would turn it on when I worked on does, so I wouldn't be cold. And then one time we had so many does given birth that I was getting cold, so I turned the heater on. And it was so busy, I was just throwing kids onto a towel on the floor in front of the heater. And when I went back in, I noticed how dry they were. And I was like, oh, it does all the work for us.
2: Yeah. The one thing I'll say too, Deborah, is I can totally relate because when we first started, we used to damn raise kids. And oh my gosh, if I could, you know, tell you how many hours I spent literally like laying on my back. In a cold barn, like trying <laughs> to get those babies to latch. Oh my gosh, it was it was some of the most frustrating days. And it was before we realized that like a cold baby is not going to eat no matter what. And it was like, it took us so long to come to that realization. And then like afterwards, it's like, oh my gosh, how could we have not realized that like, they're just not inclined to have a sucking reflex if they're cold.
1: When I got started, I was in Yahoo groups, which was the thing back then in the early 2000s. And nobody ever talked about that. I mean, no. I know there were people with goats who lived in cold climates, but nobody ever talked about the fact that if they're cold, they're not going to suck. No, you know, and people did say like, oh, don't tube feed a kid that has hypothermia. Like right. that was out there, you know, like if it's right. temperature is less than a hundred, don't tube feed it. Cause it can't digest anything when it's that cold. Right. So, and I still don't think it gets out there very much. Um, and, and it drives me crazy that so yeah. many times, like on social media, when people say, I have a kid that won't nurse, nobody says no. what's the temperature outside. Exactly. Everybody's saying, "Give it a bozu shot," and it's like <laughs> that is not going to help it if it's ten degrees and the kid has hypothermia. Exactly, Deborah. Like you hit the nail on the head. I- I'm always amazed
2: too. Like sometimes the simplest things, it's like, oh my gosh, like why isn't that out there more? Like it took us forever to figure that out. Yeah, and it was nowhere to be found.
1: You yeah, know? we had to figure it out on our own too.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and I find so many things are like that. It's like accidental or like something is just not working and then something randomly happens that you didn't really plan and then it all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and you're just like, oh, like it doesn't have to be this difficult.
1: Yeah, exactly. So one of the other things I want to talk about, too, is basically taking care of the humans when we're working in these temperatures you know, especially for somebody that only has three or four goats. And so like their chores in the morning, maybe, you know, last 20 or 30 minutes, (laughs) that is so different. Like, I don't really ever assume that I am going to be in and out of the barn in less than two hours, even though we've got like a video monitor, which like that don't even think of having babies without some kind of a barn monitor. (laughs) This is like the craziest story. I think it was about five or six degrees below zero and we had multiple goats who were due and this one goat was making noise and I could hear over the monitor. And I thought, wow, it sounds like she might be kind of serious. And I go out there and I look at her. She just looked completely fine. And I checked her ligaments though. And her tail ligaments were really soft. So I'm like, okay, you might give birth overnight. So I put her into a kidding pen and it takes me like, I don't know, a minute to get from the barn to the house. And so I put her in the kidding pen. I come in the house and I start brushing my teeth. And my husband says, honey, I think I hear a kid over the baby monitor. And I'm like, no, you don't. I was just out there. And he's like, I really think I hear a kid (laughs) on the baby monitor. And I'm thinking like, oh gosh, it's you know, five degrees, six degrees below zero. I'll feel like a big jerk if I go out there tomorrow and we find frozen kids. So, okay, I'll go out there. So I go out there and there was not one kid. There were three kids laying in this massive puddle of water. It's like she had just, you know how they scratch sometimes before they give birth. She had like made this lovely little hole in the straw where she then plopped her butt And so like these three kids, it's like they were in this massive puddle that was a couple inches deep. And I was screaming bloody murder over the monitor. I'm like, she's kidding. Help. Get out here. (laughs) She's kidding. And uh, my husband grabs our daughter and brings her out here. And so the three of us, like we each have a kid and a towel and we're trying to dry them off. And then she pushed out a fourth one. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I mean, that is how quick it was. So that's why when somebody says, oh, I'm setting my alarm to check on her every two hours, I would have gone out there and found four dead kids <laughs> two hours later.
2: Yeah. We don't have the luxury of having video monitors in our barn, but we do um, use a baby monitor during kidding season. It's on 24-7. And we can nearly always tell just by the sound of the dough if she's in hard labor. Like you said, usually it's two hours from start to finish. Taking care of the babies doesn't really take that long if you're focused and you're just, you know, going through the steps really quickly. But like we also are out there and then we're milking colostrum, we're replenishing her, like, we usually, like, feed out some hot water and molasses for the does, which really helps them get a lot of their energy back. And then, you know, sometimes we're out there just doing stuff and, like, monitoring when um, she passes her placenta. And, and for us, we have a very consolidated kidding season. So we're basically kidding out about 50 does within a six-week period that's a lot of babies. Um, And so it's not uncommon for us to have multiple does in labor at the same time.
1: Yeah. Last year I had two does that gave birth at the same time, literally like, (laughs) um, and it was great because in terms of my time, it did not take any more time. It was, and it was crazy because these two does, I'm like, I'm looking at them going, I don't know who's going to go first. Like really either one of you could start popping out kids like at any moment now. So I, I put both of them into a a regular stall in the barn and it it turned out ultimately one doe was carrying five, one was carrying a single and (laughs) the single was born in between the five. (laughs) So yeah.
2: And having a, having great, like going back to like taking care of the humans, having great layers And a really good pair of Carhartt overalls, or Michael's favorites, are his ridge cut ones from Tractor Supply. Those are really awesome, too. And um, a very unfashionable barn coat.
1: (laughs) Yeah, when we first moved out here and I started seeing farmers wearing Carhartts, I thought those were the ugliest things I had (laughs) ever seen. And then one year, they had the insulated overalls on sale at Tractor Supply, towards the end of the season. And it was like (laughs) a really good deal. And I thought, hmm. And so I got them and brought them home and was like, Oh my gosh! This is like my body's not even outside. Yeah, you know my face feels the cold, but my body is so much warmer now.
2: Yeah, it makes all the difference in the world when you have proper clothing on. I mean, there's nothing worse than having to deal with like wet kids soaking through clothing. Um, Yeah, it is like the biggest challenge with keeping ourselves warm is always our extremities, and like when when we were doing work in the barn, like sometimes gloves are just not practical. <laughs> it's just like, it's worse if your gloves get wet. I'd rather have it like make my skin wet and then be able to dry my hands off with a towel. That's the other thing we always have on hand, especially for winter kidding is a good hearty supply of towels. You know, get all your neighbors used towels when they get a beautiful new set for their bathroom. And, you know, we'll take any unwanted towel. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think some of the people in my kidding course, I, you know, nobody's ever asked me about it probably because they just think we're weird. Because we bought some monogram towels like 20 years ago and and use them until they were all frayed around the edges and everything. And now they're goat towels. And so in some of my videos, you see like this monogram on the towels that I'm using to dry the baby goats.
2: Yes. The amount of like laundry that we do during kidding season because of the, all the towels we constantly have to wash is mind boggling.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like you mentioned the kind of learning things as you go along, because a lot of times when people People are, are seeing my videos. They're like, "Why are you pulling on the kids?" So I try to make a point of saying, "I am not pulling on the kids. I am trying. I'm just supporting them so they don't fall into the straw. Yeah. Because if they fall in the straw, they will have massive quantities of straw on them, and then that straw is going to get on your towels, and then you're going <laughs> to have to clean off your towels before yeah. you throw them into the washing machine. Yeah. And initially, we we were like, "Oh, we'll just slide the towel under the doze," but Well, if you do that, then the towel is going to be completely soaked before the kid even gets out. Right. So (laughs) there's, there's like this evolution and you're like, okay, honey, so I'm just going to support this baby so it doesn't get straw stuck to all the goop. And because it's worth it's worse if you use shavings, like straw is easier to even
2: pull off. like you get some shavings mixed in with some goat poop that's inevitably in there too. And you're like, oh God, you know, (laughs) now you've got to shake the towel out and you're just, you know, trying to get as many of those shavings off and I don't want to clog up the washing machine.
1: Because some people are so yeah. completely grossed out with their first birth or so about all of the mucus and everything. Like, one lady emailed me and said she threw all the towels away. Oh, gosh. And I'm like, no, that, that <laughs> wash out. Like, just like you shouldn't have done that. Like, I've been yeah. using kidding to the same kidding towels for years. years. Like, yeah. The only thing is, you just don't want like straw and shavings and stuff on there that's going <laughs> to clog up your machine. But yeah. the mucus washes out. No
2: oh, it does wash out. Like we, we usually keep like a big heavy duty trash bag that we use as a laundry bag. We just hang it on a peg in that workroom And then like we... Once it's filled up with dirty kidding towels, I do a load of laundry or two loads of laundry to wash all those towels, and then I bring the fresh ones back out to the barn.
1: Let's talk a little bit now about potential worst case scenarios. So I know our very first kidding that we ever had with temperatures below zero, we wound up with a kid who lost the tip of its ear to frostbite. And I did not even know that was possible. Both of my daughters were out there and I I thought I'm like done with one. I would hand it to them and they would give me another one and I start blow drying it. And then my daughter's like, mom, I think this kid's ears are freezing. And you feel it. And you know, normally their ears are warm and pliable and stuff. And it wasn't, it was like cold and hard and crunchy. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so then I'm like, blow drying that. And we got most of it thawed out, but the kid did lose the tip of its ear. And I'm happy to say that's the only time we've lost an ear. I became absolutely obsessive about the ears after that, when it was below zero, but then I didn't not think about the tail and that tail has a lot more hair on it. And so there was another goat that we had that was born again, below zero. And about a week after it was born, it's walking around and its tail is an L shape. And so I picked it up and the half of the tail was hanging by like the teensy weensiest little piece of skin, which I cut and like it didn't even bleed, you know, because the skin yeah. was dead. Yeah. So have you had anything that, that happened uh, in really cold weather that you wanted to share?
2: Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about where we located the pens?
0: Yeah, I mean, the first year that we did this, we were new and we were just getting acquainted with the old barn and it's, it's a big old drafty bank barn and there's really no way to insulate it or, or control all the drafts that are going through it. And the first year we made a big mistake and put our kidding pens in a wrong area of the barn where we didn't know the draft was coming through. And this was the year when we used to dam raise. So we weren't always right on top of everything right away. And we lost quite a few kids the first week. Uh, It was extremely cold here below zero. And we would go out and we would have a dead kid here or there. And we found out it was, we put it directly where the draft came right through the entire barn. And that's where we had put our pens yeah. and we ended up having to move them all. And then that solved the problem. And we knew what we were looking for, but you no, know, it was a costly mistake and we didn't know why at first, but we soon figured it out.
2: Yeah. And there's no worse feeling than like first the horrible feeling of like losing what was a perfectly viable kid. Like the, And these were kids that were in kidding pens with their dams and with heat lamps and we thought like what could it possibly be and then it happened like two nights in a row like right at the beginning of kidding season and then it it hit us that like we had located the kidding pens on the exterior walls of our barn whereas michael said the draft was the worst and it was on nights where it was wicked wind and Sub-zero temperatures. And we're not just talking like one to two below. We were talking 15, 16, 17 below zero with those wicked winds. And when you're talking about raising Nigerian porfs like we do, and you know, you're seeing an average birth weight of say two and a half to three pounds, That's not a lot of weight to be able to keep well insulated from those kinds of gusty winds coming through a very drafty old barn.
1: And it's so weird because what you usually see is that your barn should be well ventilated but not drafty. Yes. And you're like, what the heck does that mean? That sounds like a contradiction. (laughs) Yes. And it's like, like the example I give is in our barn, um, it is situated east-west, so it's a hundred feet long and there are only windows and doors on the east side and the west side. And so during the summer, we have doors and windows open on both ends. And once winter comes, we close everything on the west side, but we leave the door open on the east side so that like ammonia can escape and air can get in and stuff, but the wind can't blow through there, yep, so yep. and
2: even this year we're we're still like taking steps to adjust things. like we we had a, a staircase in the barn that like drew draft. It like pulled air from the top side of our barn. It's- and it was pulling so much draft down the stairwell that we decided to close in the stairwell. It was open before and it made a huge difference. Like now you don't feel nearly as much draft. And it wasn't so much of an issue because the draft was coming and it was more on our full grown milking does. And by that time they could withstand more of that, but we still wanted to minimize that. And that was just the step that we took this year. And we've been now breeding for you know, many years and it's still taken us that long to like make these kinds of adjustments just because your, your priority list is always changing.
1: And the wind, just to follow up on that, like so many people are scared of temperatures, but really the wind is a really big deal because The second year that we were kidding, we had this doe. Of course, we did not know what we were doing.
0: Um, We had
1: this doe that we kept thinking was in labor for like three days. And then finally, I just got so frustrated. I was like, okay, clearly we don't, we have no idea what we're doing. Let's just put this goat outside. Like we've been keeping her in the barn for days and watching her like a hawk. I'm like, just put her out in the outside. So we did. And then a little later, one of my children came running in and said, mom, she gave birth. There's kids out in the pasture. And we go out there and um, two of them were up and walking around. One of them was laying on the ground and looked dead. And when I picked her up, I could feel a heartbeat, but she was so cold, like she wasn't moving or anything. And so we, my mentor at that time said, put her in a bucket of hot water And so that was basically what we did. The thing is the temperatures were like in the forties, Yeah. but it was windy and she was, she was smaller than the two brothers that had been born. And so, and she's probably first, you know, and so um, she didn't, her mom was busy pushing out the other two instead of licking her off. So wind is definitely not your friend when it comes
2: no, it's it's way worse than any cold temperature. Like you don't really need to worry about goats in the cold temperature. They're extremely hardy, much harder than we are as humans certainly. But wind is a can be a killer. But you, you raised another issue, Deborah, in your comments just now about like, what do you do when a kid is really cold like that? And like, you have to work quickly because that happens a lot sometimes in winter, no matter what you do, like a kid, you know, might just be weak and can't seem to get its body temperature regulated. And so there are also a lot of tricks that we learned over the years, some with tips from our vet. Um, And some from other experienced goat owners in our area about like, how do you get a kid warm really fast? Um, And you mentioned one of them, like sort of submerging it in hot water. But of course, you need to be careful that it's not so hot that you're going to scald the kid. But that's a really effective way of getting body temperature up. But another one is just taking a wool sock and we fill it with rice and just like close the end with a rubber band and heat it slowly in the microwave, like maybe on bursts of like 20 to 30 seconds at a time until it's good and warm. And we lay the sock kind of on the belly side of the kid and on the back side of the kid between the wool and the rice, it holds the heat in. And then we just wrap that baby and the the rice filled socks up in a, a warm blanket and towel. And that's another really good way of getting a kid warm fast. And of course, like if you're in a really dire situation, then, you know, we always have ringers on hand. I'm sure you do too. Lactated ringers. Yeah. We always have ringers on hand for those occasions, you know, when you really need to get warm fluids in fast. You know, I always tell people it's good to have those on hand. For those kind of emergency situations, and certainly a tube feeding kit, you don't ever want to tube feed a kid that's freezing cold. But if you're having trouble and you really need to get something into that kid, those things are kind of critical in in your winter kidding kit.
1: Yeah, and hopefully it doesn't happen that a kid is going to get that far gone. What usually it doesn't usually happen at birth, but sometimes, like with a kid, is a day or two old, and it's just, it hasn't been nursing quite enough. And then like it's body temperature starts to go down and it gets, and then stops nursing as much. And it gets into this downward spiral and you go out there and you find this kid laying there crying. And in that situation, so like you stick your finger in its mouth, it's cold. So the first thing you have to do is get it warmed up Yep. And once you get it warmed up, usually that's all it takes. Like, right.
2: Yeah. And so being able to like get that body temperature up is critical, like, and knowing how to do it as fast as possible um, so that they can eat.
1: Yeah. About, I think I've. I'm pretty good at getting kids to the point where they don't need to be tube fed. And I, and I always tell them this, I'm like, I hate tube feeding. So you have to yeah. take, you have to get warmed up and take this bottle. Cause I do not like to tube feed.
2: Yep. So- Same
1: here. <laughs> Michael's
2: better at it. I, I'm like awful. And I'm, I'm too much of a nervous Nelly to do it to begin with. I'm not bold enough sometimes. So Michael usually does the tube feeding, but we, we very rarely have to do that like yeah. some seasons never at all and other seasons, maybe once.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. you have a lot of kids like we like now we only freshen about seven or eight does a year. But at our peak, when our kids were all home, we had 2021 20, goats kidding, most of the time and 50 to 60 kids a year. Yeah. And and even in those situations, it was like, You know, maybe one kid and it would be a tiny kid, usually, you know, one that's like smaller than average. So it has a little bit more trouble maintaining its body temperature. And then you have like
2: some weird anomalies. Like one year we had a little kid born and he was so skinny and he was a cream colored goat. And of course, when they come out and they're that skinny and they're all wet in birthing fluid, they almost look transparent. And he was so weak. We literally thought he was dead. And I think he he may have been dead, but you know how like, if you have a kid that comes out and he's just totally limp and not able to move a muscle, we always, of course, hold it upside down and make sure that there's no fluid like blocking his airways. Like you would give him a good shake and see if anything happens. And we had this one kid and he, we did that like little last shake just to make sure he wasn't alive and he took one breath. He would take like one breath in what seemed like every 30 seconds. I'm sure it was more frequent than that, but it was really minimally breathing. And we're like, okay, what do we do with this kid? And so he was so limp, but he was hanging on. And so we we just got him good and dry. We laid him down in a cardboard box and literally we had to take him with us wherever we went for days. But the weird thing about him is that he would always take a bottle. He never needed to be too fed. He couldn't move a muscle, but he would suck. And I was like, you know what, this kid's gonna make it. And sure enough, he's still out in our barn. We kept him as a weather and he's doing great and thriving. But it's like, you have those weird instances where you're like, you have a baby born and you're like, this kid is never gonna make it. And then by some odd miracle, it's like, here he is. You know.
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's cute. I bet he is a sweetheart from having what all that a attention. <laughs> he, he's
2: definitely a a farm favorite, and everyone who comes knows his story and always asks to see him. So,
1: well, this is, speaking of fun, this has been a lot of fun um, to to chat about this and. Hopefully, people are not so nervous now about kidding in cold weather. It is definitely not as scary as most of us think it is before we've actually done it a few years. Yeah, for sure. I
2: always tell people, you know, like, Sometimes it's the human nerves that cause more of the problems than the actual birth. Like I see a lot of like new goat owners who just worry themselves to death and sometimes it leads people to intervene too much and too quickly. And, you know, you have to sometimes just like step back and realize that the animal is far more capable of dealing with things than you might give them credit for. I mean, it's always good to be there to help them when they need it, but they don't often need a lot of assistance.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the big reason you need to be there in the winter is just to get them dry and warm and make sure that they're nursing, you know, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Remember, they're desert animals. So like we brought them to this horrible climate. And so don't talk to me about being natural, because if you got goats where there's in these horribly cold places, then we are responsible for making sure their babies don't freeze to death when they're born. That's right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun and hopefully it's been very helpful for people who are listening.
2: Yeah, I hope so. Thanks so much for having us, Deborah. It's always so great to chat with you. It's
0: been fun.
1: And that's it for today's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any episodes. To see show notes, you can always visit ForTheLoveOfGoats.com and you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash love goats podcast. See you again next time. Bye for now.